Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture story. So hello, listeners. It's good to have you back. I'm so excited to for our guest today. He's had tremendous experience with global marketing. He's going to teach us so much, I just know. We've got Stephen Castle here today, and he was most recently the chief brand officer at Cigna. And he left there in December and started a, a consulting company called Horizontes Group. Yet I don't think that's going to last for long because he's already being courted by many, many big companies um, that specialize in the financial services area. So, Stephen, welcome so much. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. It's great to be here, and thank you for the invitation and opportunity. Yeah. So what I love is on your LinkedIn profile, you've got the rainbow flag right out there as a, a symbol welcoming to the LGBT community. Um, and you've also worked in big business. So talk to me about that decision to put, put the flag on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I think it came from a place of really wanting to help others understand that one, it's okay to be out and out there. That's the first part. And then second, as I've become more involved with organizations and supporting different types of organizations aimed at outreach, uh, especially to LGBTQ um, plus youth, one of the things that stands out is the lack of being okay uh, in society, in certain parts of society, you know, leads to higher suicide, higher contemplation of suicide. And so really my goal is how do I help move this forward um, as a gay man who's married with, with, uh, with a family? Um, I think it's helpful to include that part of myself uh, in all of my life. I'm so glad to hear that. I, I think there's so few of us that haven't been touched by suicide in our life um, with friends or family. And so for you to recognize that and be willing to put it out there, I think is absolutely fantastic. So I thank you. I am an ally and uh, like to support people no matter what choices, language, colors they are. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been in global marketing and you've lived internationally. Why don't you start with telling us a little bit more about your international living and exposure? Well, my international living and exposure has included Brazil, Mexico, um, you know, travel all over the world with, with the different jobs and, and companies that I've had the pleasure to work with and be a part of. But my journey really started back in, in the 90s when I decided to put those student loans in deferral status and take an unpaid internship post-graduation with American Express. And little did I know that that original three to four months stay in Sao Paulo would turn into three years in Brazil, three years in Miami, and uh, several years in Mexico with American Express. 
So tell me more about this. You took an unpaid internship in Brazil, fresh out of school. Like, how did you even find that opportunity? Uh, that was through, through my network. I looked up some of the Wake Forest alums and uh, MBA alums and found one who worked at uh, uh, American Express. And he was an exec who led operations. And I just reached out and started to network. And it was actually, I was the first of every year we, we started to bring MBA students uh, to, to American Express to not just bring what they could bring to the team, but also really uh, uh, expose, uh, you know, a next generation to what's it like to live and work outside the U.S. And I think one of the probably great satisfactions as I think about my own career and the links and the, the connections that you make, I mean, now I'll look on my Facebook page and I'll see some of that same group, uh, we're still tight together as, you know, 20 some years later and, and connect with each other. That's, that is the best part is staying in touch. And that's mm -hmm. with my LinkedIn and Facebook, I get people from all over the world posting. So I've got multiple different languages. So they didn't actually have a program. You just called them up and said, hey, I'm willing to come down and do a three month internship. That's right. That is so creative and such a good idea for people who want to get into international business. Well, and I think there was a, there was a, it's all about, I think, who you contact. I mean, luckily this individual was, was open and, um, you know, so, so it turned out to be just one of those great moves for me because it got me out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you do need to make moves which are less about the most comfortable or the most financially beneficial and more about what, what is this going to give to me much longer term? Um, so, so it turned out to be a great move, great experience. And um, that's probably the first time I've ever moved after three years. I moved to Miami with Amex. And probably one of the first times I've ever left a job and was crying on the plane because I'm, I just missed everybody <laughs> already. Oh, <wow. laughs> uh, I mean, when your whole team takes you to the airport to say, see you later. I mean, that's a, that's a very different experience. So. Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. That's such a testament to you too, personally, in the relationships you build. So what kind of job did you end up doing down, down in Brazil when you end up staying on? Um, I ended up starting in the heart of American Express, which is operations. Mm -hmm. So I started in the operations and, and the, the budget control area. Uh, then the experience in Miami moved me to work as chief of staff for the regional president. And then the following experience with American Express was actually moving into the marketing area with uh, uh, the Mexico division. Um, then one of the, the you know, kind of the stalwarts and biggest contributors to the bottom line for Amex at that point, and where I was in charge of launching new products and developing new products. Do you speak Portuguese or Spanish? Um, I speak Portuguese and also, of course, Spanish after so many years in Mexico and being to a Mexican national, uh, of course. <laughs> so, so we've got that nice bilingual household now uh, with Spanish and English primarily so that our son grows up with both. Oh, okay. So did you speak Portuguese before you went down to Brazil? Or did you learn um, it there? I, I started to learn as soon as I knew it was going to be a positive uh, 
uh, confirmation on, on the move. But Spanish, we, you already knew how to speak Spanish. Oh, I also learned Spanish when I, when I moved to Miami, so. Oh my goodness, okay, so here you are moving down to Brazil, you pick up the language that leads you through job changes and then you start getting involved with marketing in Mexico and that's how you end up learning Spanish. Yeah, okay, so my point here is, is that even if you're monolingual and you don't speak the language, there's still tremendous opportunities to go international. That's correct. Yeah. I would agree 100% with that. Okay, that's, that's good to know. Um, and it's good to hear. Okay, so then you, you work with American Express in marketing, and then you moved on to, wasn't it to HSBC? Yeah, I moved on to HSBC, and uh, at HSBC led uh, part of their marketing team in Mexico, uh, focused on insights. And, and to put things in perspective, HSBC happened after the, the, you know, the, the crisis, the, the worldwide financial crisis. Um, back in the late 2000s. And so that was coming into a place that really was reeling from, from a lot of the same thing that was happening here in the U.S. With, with mortgage credit, everything just not in good shape. And that was a, a, a really wonderful experience working with, um, you know, a group of individuals where our goal was how do we you know, kind of rebuild this uh, 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 to, to the level that we needed to get to in terms mm -hmm. of retail banking, business banking, um, you know, private, private, you know, wealth management, yeah, kind of the whole, whole team because HSBC in Mexico was full service, everything from branch to private banking to business banking. And how long were you there? Um, at HSBC, I was there for almost, I think, two years. Um, okay. And then uh, uh, J.P. Morgan came calling, and that was uh, an opportunity back in the U.S. in in New York. Decided at that point it was time to to get back to the U.S. Uh, for personal reasons, and uh, J.P. Morgan was focused in the private private banking area. Um, so so another another way and and completely different. I would call it. Uh, um, toolkit that you're using to target those types of individuals versus retail, which obviously makes, makes uh, just, just common sense, but, but really a, a great organization where, um, you know, it was, it was a, just a pleasure to, to be so involved with, with the thought leadership around private banking and asset management. Right, so you were chief marketing officer for the Latin American private bank. So you were using a lot of your um, marketing and Spanish skills. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. That so was then, a, that's the tie for that one. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, and doing it from Mexico. Now, I want to get into Cigna then because you moved over there and you took a senior director of global brand and then shot up to chief brand officer. So... You've had tremendous success. But before we go there, here you are, an English speaker. You go into Brazil, and then you take over marketing for a couple of companies in Mexico. You weren't, you weren't fully bilingual going into this, and you gained the experience. You must have had some fears or hesitancies of going into that. What were your biggest fears in doing this? I think the biggest fear was 
being self-confident around some things cross borders and cross uh, languages and really understanding that the blind spot can come when you know you're, you're approaching things too literally or not doing the the right due diligence and I think you know time and time again I think the 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 thing that you know I especially realized at all of the companies where I've worked at you know most recently at Cigna is to take a lackadaisical approach to you know, kind of your communication materials with, with, uh, without doing the due diligence around contextual and cultural, you know, kind of translation as things go global, that's a big risk. And I think learning that, you know, kind of making sure you have the right resources in place for um, going global, so to speak, or entering the U.S., it works both ways, is, is super important. And, and once you realize and you have that infrastructure in place, things begin to flow um, very, very nicely from my perspective. So if you're advising somebody that was going to start marketing across uh, borders or languages, how would you advise them to set up the right resources and the right infrastructure to make sure that they're not lackadaisical? Um, I, I think it comes down to I would say, as I think back, there's probably three things to, to, to consider. The first is, one, make sure you've got all your information on where you're going. Um, you know, everything from the right, you know, legality around what you want to say, how you want to say it, uh, you know, meaning legality, can I even use this, this name or brand wherever I'm going? So, so that's kind of step one on the legal side. Step two is making sure you've got the right resources who have done it before. Um, who've, who've gone into new markets and understand the process to make sure that what you're doing is going to land culturally, is going to land contextually, and really making sure that, that you're saying what you really mean to say. Uh, and that's going to be you know, somebody who's got the access to that process for native speakers and people who can you know, speak to both sides of, of meaning to, to both languages. And I think the third thing uh, over time is making sure that, um, you know, as you think about going global, uh, it, it's not a simple, let me put this out on social media. You've got to also step back and understand kind of the, the complete financial uh, cost of launching and servicing and keeping a new market up and running. So those three things are the things that come to my mind as I think about global expansion for, for businesses. Do you think that the process is the same for small and big size companies? Because you've worked for some very large ones where the resources are already there. Mm -hmm. And if you think about small and mid-sized companies that might want to expand because there's a huge opportunity, uh, what, what do you think the difference would be between the two sizes of companies and how they could follow that, I, those steps? Yeah, I think uh, the most, the, the, the thing that I've seen, even from, you know, personal friends who have taken their businesses, you know, global or even visa versa come to the U.S. from Brazil, Mexico, other countries, it's about making sure that your perspective is wide enough to pull in and locate the resources that are gonna be able to help you. 
I mean, if you're a small business, you don't need a department of 20 lawyers and uh, language translation, et cetera, et cetera, because you're not going to tap into those resources that frequently. What you do need is to find the reputable company and resource uh, that you can tap into on an as-needed basis or on a contractual basis. And, and I think that's doing that, that research and that due diligence uh, is where a little bit of the time needs to be spent up front um, so that you're sure of, of, you know, I'm with somebody who's going to build my brand and build my business and not potentially create any type of issues. Right. So it's interesting. So you keep coming back to the communication side of it. And so I've got to, you know, oftentimes I'll ask later in the interview, but I'm really curious about how you handed the, handled the language and culture communications. Did you have, was it a globalized outreach? Did you have departments in country? How did you handle the content creation and the translation? Yeah, I mean, each, each country or, you know, you know, works a bit differently based on their size uh, at any corporation. Um, some, some resources, for example, at some of the places where I've worked are, are more centralized because the local businesses are, are on the smaller side. They're more in the startup mode. So you don't need resources on the ground, um, you know, dedicated resources within your corporate structure. And then others, as things scale, it's, you know, it's a full service, multi-billion dollar company who's got, who's got the, 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 the depth and the width to require those resources. Um, the other thing that I would say, when you think about the communications materials, some things are uh, uh, more, you know, especially, I would call it tricky to translate when you're thinking about, you know, how do I make sure that this is not a literal, it, it sounds so basic, but sometimes literal translations just don't work. Right. And, and you know, we, we found, you know, at Cigna and HSBC, those are two examples that come to mind. Um, you know, sometimes the, the you know, a, a tagline, for example, when you, you go into some of the, the more public viewable, you know, call it advertising communications materials, a lot of thought needed to go into some of the taglines to make sure that, hey, the literal translation just isn't working. How do we really dig in through focus groups to get at not the literal translation, but what we're meaning with what, what this tagline actually says, and then taking that forward. Because uh, that's, uh, you know, and again, part of it, you do come back to making sure that you're contemplating the, the, the you know, this is not a, a, a simple, let's just launch one, two, three, and go. Um, even between the same language that's spoken slightly differently, think UK and, and the US, there's even differences there, which right. somebody to, to look at. Um, so it just becomes magnified when you think of, you know, opening a business in Thailand or, or India, for example. So talk me through the process, how at Cigna you would have tested, come up with a tagline and tested it. Um, and then launched it? Like, what was that whole process? Yeah, that, that whole process, um, you know, Cigna it be, being a, a very large company, I mean, part of that process was actually stepping back and identifying the right partners for us to be working with globally. Um, meaning, 
internally, we know our colleagues, we know, you know, our internal legal structure and the processes well-defined because obviously it's such a large company has, has, you know, been trademarking and then dealing with the global markets for, for some time. But when you get to the, the marketing and communication side of things, we, we also realize that, okay, this is not going to be something we're going to be changing every year. Um, so, so let's make the upfront investment in identifying, you know, the right agency partners that can help us with, with finding the insights that we then are going to put together to come up with what may work. Um, you know, the right research partners that can help us vet and, and check and make sure that, hey, this is what we think we're saying. Is this really what people are interpreting and perceiving at the local level? You know, in, in your in your targeted audiences, and then I think the other thing that I always think about is worst case scenario. I mean, are we doing anything that could harm the brand at the higher level? Uh, meaning something that could be, you know, confrontational or have a have a meaning that that you know we 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 don't want to go forward with. I mean, one example I'll leave the name off, but one example was. And, and you know, one of the logos of, of a sub-brand, one of the companies where I worked, also was something associated with, with you know, a pseudo-potential um, activist group. So, well, what do we do in that market? Uh, let, let's figure this out. So you have to understand and, and do the right due diligence and research to make sure you're not putting something with your company that, that could create the wrong perception and, and not grow the business, but have an adverse effect. So you caught it before it actually went out there because you had done the research. So we had a client, um, you know, my growth manager was talking to yesterday and she said, I've just been charged with handling the translation. I don't know where to start. I don't even know how to screen an agency. What would you advise? And I don't know how large the company was, but I think there's some some crossover that could go for large or small. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, you know, if if you're fortunate enough to have you know the the supply chain and, and sourcing experts uh, in your in your in your purview and and can reach out to them, then that's always a good place to start because they're they're the resident experts um, in the bigger companies. If you know, I think a lot of times. In the in the companies where you know you don't have you know the people in sourcing and all these different areas, uh, I always tap into my network, and and a lot of times you can find individuals who have either done this or are aware of potential vendors that you can bring into the equation, uh, and then it, it's it's checking to understand what have they done, what brands it companies have they worked for and doing a little bit of due diligence on the, the, the potential vendor that you'd like to use. Um, that, that's been the way that I've, you know, really moved forward with that over time. Okay. So it's looking at their experience, whether it would match your industry, see who else they've worked with and then due diligence, what kinds of questions would you ask? I always think about, you know, experience does count and, mm -hmm. and translations and, taking things from one market to the other. So it's not just, have they done this in one market? Have they done this in the markets that I'm looking to go into? Because um, that, that indicates they're going to be able to tap into the right resources locally. 
Mm -hmm. uh, look for the connection and tie to industries itself. Um, some industries could be regulated, some might not be regulated, but, but expect to find, you know, as you sell more complex products, then, then you'll have to deal with, with the, the regulation side of things as well. So uh, is, is, the, is the company you're looking at to help you, are they experienced in that part of things? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, it, it just becomes helpful because it helps you kind of, I mean, is anything really ever, really ever bulletproof? That's probably an open question, but it helps yeah. you to, <laughs> to feel more comfortable as, as, you, as you move forward. Right. And did you tend to hire creative agencies when you were going into new countries or launching new brands? Or did you hire translation companies? And how did you separate that out? Um, you know, we, we tended to, to look at, um, you know, probably I would call it the triumvirate of uh, call it creative um, media. In other words, what are we going to say? How are we going to say it? And what are the potential effects of what we're going to say? So, so kind of the, the, the public relations and image management as well. Um, I, I find that is always helpful because a lot of times you're going to want to make sure that you have the right, um, the right team as they're translating. One thing is to create a great idea, but then you find out, wait a second, the, one, the, 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 the people I've got working with me on this are great at doing TV and print. And then suddenly you realize, oh, wait, I'm doing short films, social media, or podcast. Um, so make sure that the, the menu of how you're going to bring something alive, same thing applies to customer client communications. I mean, the, li the list is very long of how do you get your message out. But my point is making sure that there's a match between how you expect to diffuse your message and distribute it and the 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 group that you have helping you with translations, creative, and everything else. Okay, so it really did depend on exactly what you were trying to accomplish. So you had multiple vendors working across right. different languages, different brands, different, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. How about mistakes? You must have had some good mistakes or learnings. Those are always so fun to try to avoid, yeah. hear about so yeah, you can avoid I mean, them. I mean, I think luckily most of the most of most of the mistakes were more on the the fun side, no lasting damage. But that's but, good. Uh, I mean, the the one I, the one I indicated that we caught ahead of time that would have probably been the most problematic if you're you're coming out with an activist group uh, with something that could be perceived as the as the very similar uh, very similar um, um, you know uh, image and logo. Uh, I mean, I think the others that that, uh, you know, the learnings are, I would tie it to making sure that there's a certain connectivity as businesses get bigger at the local level. Um, because sometimes mm. words do matter. And in one country, something can mean something very distinct and in, in, in a different country uh, right next door. There's one case where we had, uh, you know, luckily got to it in time before too much was was made about it, but just a very... You know, just something that, you know, if you were speaking English, could be perceived just in a very negative way. That in this particular language was was not an issue at all. But it's just uh, the 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 in that case, it just didn't get looked at and reviewed appropriately. 
and and so um, the learning there was really okay guys I understand you want independence but we've still got to make sure that what you're doing on this side of the world is not going to affect us on the other side of the world um, Oh, that was where my next question was, is would you have called yourself more as a globalized brand or like a um, multinational brand? Um, I think, I think uh, Cigna, for example, um, and things do change as, as businesses get bigger, but our goal at the outset was really, we want to have one common, you know, brand. That was part of the mission was how do we bring this disparate brand that comes alive so differently across the world? into something more homogenous that, that allows us to gain certain efficiencies. Um, you know, that, that, that turned out to be, you know, just a wonderful process and the connections with, you know, the different local markets as you, you know, transcreated and, and brought the brand alive was, was a very positive experience. Um, but, but I think it, sometimes it depends as well on, on how, how separate is the business uh, from what, you know, if it is, it, is it the same service and product that you're trying to sell everywhere or is it something very distinct and different? Um, so that's part of that calculation as well, because sometimes that gives you a bit more freedom to, to kind of do something a bit different. Right. In an earlier episode, I talked to Patrick Nunes from Rotary International, and he talked about how translation was often an afterthought and how they went through this multi-year process of making them a globalized communications department. So when you came, did you have to go through that transition at your time there, or did you kind of... Yeah, that, that was part of, this, uh, of the transition in my early stage at Cigna was exactly that. It was, you know, the, the mission was let's, let's move this brand to a more consistent space with a, you know, everything from logo used to color palette to, um, you know, kind of the, the transcreation of the tagline. Um, now, of course, fast forward, you know, 19 years and, and Cigna is a very much, much larger company with, just a, a much bigger foothold. So certain now it's a multi-brand enterprise where you, you do have differentiation because there's multiple brands at play. Okay. And so there's a corporate standard that would be used that you give to any of the office. And then where are some of those social media and communications created? Is it created out of headquarters or do you have some of that created with the guidelines in country? Uh, both. Certain things are, you know, there's a, a central creation process if there's, a, if there's an efficiency or leverage that can be gained. Um, think of certain topics or holidays or moments during the year, for example. Um, and then a lot of times the, the proof points and the RTBs for local products, even the products themselves are, are very distinct. So that becomes much more of a local function with, with, I don't want to say templates per se, but with their own guided process that, that it takes place locally. And then would they have to get that approved by corporate or could uh, they, if it was template, I mean, they could go? Depends on division, but most of the time local, local, um, you know, as long as things are within the, the right context and guidelines, then, then, you know, that that's approved locally. 
Okay. Okay. So it really, it truly is a globalized brand because it's interesting where we see a lot of countries will say, oh yeah, we're going to let the distributors do the translation in and then they have to go through pulling uh, it back and try to create yeah. a global brand. So it's good to learn early on how, how to set that vision and control mm -hmm. it, even though you think you're saving money and doing it right with locals, but you can run into problems. That's correct. That's very yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, the more you have a standardized product and service, the easier it is to leverage materials and, um, you know, th th things are, are, are what's different becomes the language and the translation and the context, not the product. The product's the exact same thing. Um, and, and then as you got, kind of go down the scale of, oh, wait a second. We're, we're actually selling not even a, a physical product, but a service and the service happens to be, you know, just very different uh, from one place to the other. That's where you, you need to incorporate that flexibility so that things can come alive and create the results that you need. Right. So what were some of the processes or that you put in to make sure this would work? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times the processes, you know, they start at, you know, when you, when you step back for a moment, uh, uh, at, at some of the places where I've worked and, and most recently included, uh, a lot of it becomes, there's a strong partnership with your legal and compliance teams to make sure that, especially if a business is regulated, that the right, the right processes are in place around creation of new products and services. Um, that's of particular importance. Anytime you have a, a regulated service or product, um, any, you know, in the U.S., HIPAA and, you know, kind of you know, those types of overlays are extremely important to contemplate up front in the creation and, and, and development phase. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, you know, just having, you know, the implementation of even how do we, you know, agreeing and, and gaining alignment on, how do we name products and services? Uh, how do we vet and, and register new, new products and services? And, and thus the name. And then you, you, you know, continue to, to move that down the line as you get from creation to the actual distribution and, and sale. But, but uh, I view it as, as, you know, if you've got the, 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 the time and the resources to put in the right processes, it really mitigates potential issues later on in the process. And, and then the other thing that, that um, you know, I think is part of, part of the cost of doing business is, you know, who's, you know, who's keeping your eyes on, who's keeping their eyes on, on your, your actual brand, your names, mm -hmm. and is somebody infringing on your trademark? Uh, you know, a lot of markets around the globe, if, if there's no usage, then you can't defend it, number one. And number two, uh, a lot of times people can tap into your brand equity by launching something that's very, very similar. So again, you come back to, it's almost no before you go that there are costs implied to not just launch, but maintain and protect your product and service that's tied to going global. And obviously what we've been talking around, all the communications, if you've, if you've done the right thing in terms of communications and translations and 
invested, don't forget this other piece that's, that, that's out there. So there's about 200 countries in the world. How many countries was Cigna operating in? Um, if memory serves me correct, uh, around, I want to say a little over 30. Um, okay. 30 countries. And then, you know, obviously there's, there's distributors who handle, you know, some of the other countries as well. In which countries did you think were easier on the legal, regulatory, and language issues, and which ones do you think were harder? That's a that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think is if you've got the right resources, you're tapping onto, and this is not meant to be a non-answer, but if you're tapping into the right resources, it all becomes something palatable. Um, but I would say, you know, what you know, as as you think through especially some of the things that are that are complicated or countries where you have to operate with the JV partner um, because then the the process becomes one of well geez there's not just one stakeholder at the table there's two and, mm -hmm. and so, so things can become complicated uh, as, as you think through that um, process which and, um, which countries would you have to have a JV partner um, in, in some countries like for example India Certain certain industries you, you need to, to work with work, work with uh, yeah the right type of, of uh, the right partner, um, and and so I think it's just you know it's always understanding you know kind of for your particular product or service how does it work and what what are the the rules by which you you can enter and you know be successful. Okay, so there wasn't, when you were leading the global brand, there wasn't one country that would come up and you go, oh, we've got issues there again, or that translation into that language is really hard, or why can't I just get a clear answer from legal? Like there wasn't. No, no, I think the infrastructure was just excellent at Cigna. And, yeah. and so most, uh, you know, I think most of the time the, the issues that came up for us were more responsive ones to you know, somebody infringing or somebody trying to, to you know, do something, copy something that, that was really something that we had, we had trademarked, um, you know, several of those cases uh, every year. Oh, and were there typical countries or typical, I mean, was it the Cigna brand or was it products they were trying to copy? And then yeah, what? A mix, a mix of, of, of different things, but yeah, you, you, you know, it's just kind of, I, I would call it almost any, any multinational, you know, from a Disney who, who sees products that, well, wait, we didn't, we didn't make that. How did that, how did that come to Right. Um, yeah. So, so just, I, I would say situations like that. Yeah. And it's so interesting because China, you know, has the reputation of a lot of uh, patent infringement or copying and, you know, 16 years ago when I got into this business, it was a much bigger concern that I heard come up a lot more, but I think they've tightened down the, the rules there more. So I don't hear that topic coming up as much. You know, I, I'm hearing much more about the opportunity. I'm assuming um, Cigna was in China. Yes, Cigna is in China. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and what was your experience there? I think very similar to what you, what you mentioned, just a, uh, you know, just lots of opportunity and, and uh, very, just very, uh, uh, you know, I think 
the ability to to grow your business is is very present. Right, right. With just the sheer number of people and then the rising um, mm-hmm. income levels that are going on. So many times I'll hear English is the global language. <laughs> Can you talk to me about that and how you approached English versus translation in your roles? Um. Well, I would say English is a global language if the, the majority of people in the room uh, uh, speak English because it's just it's it's the easiest way to communicate. But you know, I, I I'm a strong fan of making sure that you know comprehension occurs when you've got people who are able to understand things in their own language. Um, so so I'm a big fan of of you know, making sure things are, are translated and, and the right context and perspectives there. So you wouldn't agree with that unless the people in the room speak English. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek there, but... but uh, oh, I loved it. You know? I thought it was perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And how about uh, Google Translate? What are your experiences there? And did you ever use any kind of AI, machine translation... Um, I mean, I think I think off to a great start, and off to something that could, you know, fundamentally make it so much easier for for humans to communicate. But I think as you move into um, anything that's that needs a cultural or contextual background to it, I think it does require um, the right the right company that's helping you do that uh still uh i I, you know great to see it happening and yes it's definitely making a positive difference but you know complicated products and services or or products and services that are just not so easy easily um um, translated require a different a different process from my perspective right right yeah and so there wasn't much use of that at all in Cigna? Well, in the marketing department, no. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we I, you know, I'm sure we use, I, yeah, not, not that, I, that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, um, yeah, before, I was going to jump to personal stuff, but I, this would be really interesting to me. How did you measure your ROI on your translation rather than just looking at it as a cost of doing business? I mean, I, I think the ROI comes in in terms of, you know, what marketing is done to drive business results. And so I think the ROI always comes in as, you know, if, if this is part of our total cost to get something done to, to, to launch a product, then how successful was our, was our launch or our, our distribution and you know ultimately did we move the bottom line in terms of of building the business okay so you would never tie it back directly to translation but it would be part of the total cost of launch um you know i think it, it's it, there's so i i would say there you know if, if you have the right translation it's definitely going to impact you know kind of the the, the downstream um for sure Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I think we, 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 we looked at it as that was part of, you know, cause the other thing to consider is not just sales, but it's also, Hey, this is our, our company and our brand that we've got out there. 
and you know part of our our perception is making sure people can understand who we are and what we stand for and so so kind of a cost of doing business per se mm, right yeah and so you were talking about the the brand of the company and as the chief brand officer, so often, uh, you, you, know, you were mentioning before that so often people think that brand equals advertising, but it's so much more than that. Can you ta tell me more about what the chief brand officer is responsible for? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the brand officer um, in my most recent role was really not just about, uh, you know, kind of that toolkit of modern marketing that, that you know, we're all aware of and is, is being used every day to, to help, help companies build their business. But, uh, you know, this particular um, role was also about the transformation agenda and marketing being one of those drivers of, of growth and, you know, helping to pull the right parts of the organization together to transform the, the future, the future growth path. Um, so I think that that's, yeah, it's, I always think of it as the larger definition of brand. You know, brand means at the end of the day, you identify a brand as, hey, that's a company. Um, and a company has many different components as they go to market. And so, so that's, that, that's kind of the bigger, you know, the, the, the way I think about things. So under that would fall new product releases and communications and social media and yeah, and, and really, you know, it, it, it comes back to, you know, how are you working across silos and within the matrix of any larger organization or even a small one to make sure that you've got the right data and insights in order to fuel, fuel the decisions that take your business forward. So what would be the difference between a chief brand officer and the chief marketing officer? Um, it's Cigna, the brand officer, was part of the marketing team. Um, so, so really, you know, kind of one one of the arms that that yeah, you know, I think every company's different. It all depends on what company you're working <laughs> for. Um, but uh, you know, that really depends on where you are. But uh, in my case, just a broad group of responsibilities um, as part of the part of the broader marketing team. Right, right. So it's going to be interesting to see if you can continue on with consulting or who sweeps you up with your, your background. You're, you've got, you're really impressive. All right, let's get to know you better since we've uh -oh. been talking all about work. Yes, you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Your favorite foreign word? Um, my favorite foreign word goes back to that first experience living outside the U.S. and Brazil, and that would be saudades. Um, and I think that the reason why is because to this day, I've not found a word that really fits that feeling you have when you think of people, when you think of situations. And um, so saudades remains, as I live and work around the globe, my, my word. Oh, that's fantastic. How about your favorite country to visit for work? Ooh, I mean, I, I, I think you're the same way, Wendy. I like them 
I like every country. <laughs> I've never, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been a travel bug since I was I was young to get out and experience new places. Um, you know, I, I think there are things to love about every single place. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably my heart goes to, um, you know, especially especially Mexico because that's where I, I've spent so much time outside the U.S. Yeah, uh, and and just being able. To, I think the longer you are in a place, the, the more you're able to really experience and get to know people, places, and, and, and just the culture. Did I mention to you that I lived in Mexico? No, you didn't. No, yes, you didn't. I went yeah, to first, yeah. and, first and second grade in Mexico. And my oh, school was half a day in Spanish and half a day in English. And so uh, I... It, Learn to both subjects in both languages. That's awesome. I didn't know yeah. that. That's that's great. That's yeah, great. yeah. I love Mexico. I've been back, you know, a few times for vacation, and so would certainly live down there. The people are just so warm and friendly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How about your favorite vacation? Oh, well, despite the the, I think my favorite vacation thus far, I would have to say with my parents and you know, my family, uh, Alaska, because uh, we've nice. been to Mexico, we've been to Europe, we've been many, many different places together, but uh, Alaska was just one of this, these kind of overwhelming, spectacular experiences. Ah, did you do a cruise, or you were up there between the cities, or what uh, did we, you do? We, we did a, a kind of a, a land and, and sea type experience and it was I mean it, it was just as if things were it only rained I think part of one day out of you know a little over two weeks which is very wow. rare yeah um you know and you know when we went to Denali that happened to be the day you know yeah you had to get up at four in the morning but yeah, if you had a list of things that you wanted to see in Denali then we saw everything on that list so it was just like that kind of magical experience where everything comes together um, yeah. and most importantly, during during the times of COVID, when when hopefully we'll look back soon and say, "Wow, that was really that was slow but fast at the same time." Right. Couldn't travel. Uh, I think that's probably also why that one comes to mind because it was one of the more recent ones when you know we could all travel together. So right, right. Well, with no travel and no socializing, I've launched the podcast and written a book that's <laughs> launched. April 13th of this year and so <laughs> hired awesome. a sales rep We've, we're documenting all our company processes so <laughs> yes I have booked a vacation for this summer and I'm just going to go relax <laughs> it's just a house down at the Cape yeah so how about your most rewarding cross-cultural experience in work um, I would have to say uh I was very fortunate at Cigna to be part of a, a senior leader talent program. And that included a, uh, an immersion in India and also an immersion in China, um, two, two separate, two separate uh, um, times. And I think the rewarding part of both of those experiences, uh, very infrequent that you have a company and kudos to, to, to Cigna for investing in this, yeah. but, but trying to open the eyes to, to senior leaders for, you know, kind of the, 
the global learnings that can happen and the innovation that can happen in one place could very easily transfer over to another place. Um, just extremely rewarding, extremely rewarding. And I still, I still will, will, you know, mention that if I, if I see the, you know, the chief human resources officer or, or uh, whoever, you know, that, that led that at Cigna, just a really wonderful, rewarding um, experience. Was there anything shocking that you experienced in either of the countries? Um, I, I, I wouldn't call it shocking from a, from a, oh, wow, because, you know, that I've been to, 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 to those countries before. I think one of the things that struck me more on the, I would just from a admiration perspective was just the, the way that innovation occurs and in some, in some cases at a much faster pace when you've got, you know, you don't have the, the, the tremendous budgets or research or, or infrastructure that may exist like in the U.S. or a European country. And specifically referring to the Heart Institute um, in, in, uh, that we visited in, in India. Just like the, the amazing what, what innovation can occur when there's a, you know, intelligent people that get together and figure out there's a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, that sticks out in my mind as just kind of an eye opener around, you know, kind of, wow, they're true learnings. Right. That's fantastic. That's a really, really good point because there's so much to learn about such magically different ways that people approach problems and coming together and all the research shows bringing a diverse team together to solve a problem you're going to get it may take longer but you're going to get a much better solution right right yeah so do you have any final recommendations for how um people should expand globally or if I mean, they're I, interested what to do i hate the I word think, should I think, you know i think it's um you know, to reiterate some of the some of the points that I mentioned, um, you know, during during our conversation, I think first make sure you you do the right pre research around where you're going, what it's going to take, so that you have kind of the whole picture and the whole kind of data set around, you know, what's it going to take, so I don't experience surprises. That's number one. Number two, make sure that uh, as you think about that journey, the right the right help to help you on that journey. Um, especially, uh, you know, as we've talked about translations and, and culturally and contextually relevant, that's a huge piece. So make sure that you're, <laughs> make sure that you've got the right resource to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and then third, you know, make sure you've also, as, as you establish a business, make sure you've got the right team on the ground. Um, who's who's in the right processes? I mean, it's funny you mentioned kind of the processes for your own company, but it's important so that the rules of the road are are clear. Right, right, yeah, and that's when we're working with customers that are thinking about multilingual marketing. We like to start with strategy, look at technology, processes, and quality. And so it's interesting to think about how you just went through that. It kind of aligns with mm -hmm. how we question what they're trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah. You just you just said it much more succinctly and better than I ever could. So. Well, you just said it differently, but it was <laughs> I was I, fast. Thank you, but fascinated with how it aligns because that's 
you've got to have, you got to know where you're going <laughs> and set it exactly. up. So how can people find you if they have other questions or want to get in touch with you? Um, the best way to find me is through LinkedIn. Um, uh, and just, just send me a message and be glad to, to, to chat. And, All right. And Stephen, can you spell your name so people know how to yeah. find you on LinkedIn? It's uh, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, last name Castle, C-A-S-S-E-L-L. So you say it like a castle where you'd live, but it is S-S-E-L-L. That's okay. correct. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I've learned a ton and I've really enjoyed talking with you. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens with you over the next year. Well, great. I, likewise, I've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, I'll look forward to, to touching base soon. Okay. Great. Thank you. Listeners, thanks so much for listening in. It's always uh, good to hear from a variety of size companies about how they look at their global marketing. So it was interesting to really hear about Cigna and what they've done over the last 15 to 20 years. I hope you learned something today. Um, if you think of somebody who might benefit from this podcast or learn something, please share it with them. Um, we'd love to have Stephen Words reach the right people. So we will see you next time with our next interesting guest. Have a great day. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.